we are going to start a series on the, the gathering of the church, um, what it means to celebrate as a church, what it means to be uh, in union together as a family. And we put, you know, we've put a lot of energy and effort into our house churches, and that was intentional. And, and again, for those of you that have been around for at least the past year, uh, we just began to see where we felt that our, our experience together as house churches and as a gathered family of God needed to, be, needed to improve. It needed to improve. We, we, saw the, we increasingly saw the value of, of this time together. And so this is the culmination of it, meeting together. And, you know, it's not over. We continue to pray and look for places that we can say, yeah, maybe this will be um, the location that we'll call our home base. Um, but we are the temple. We are the family of God. His spirit dwells in us. So when, when we are together, there is a fullness that we will experience, um, and when we are, we, we are in, in unity together in, in mission and in supporting and encouraging and loving one another, that is where, that's home, okay? Uh, these locations that we meet in are important. We dwell in flesh, and we will dwell in flesh for eternity. And so space and building and these things are important, but what's really essential is the unity that we have. And so what we're going to do is throughout the summer, we'll, we'll, at Labor Day, we're going to switch into a series on a couple of the the minor prophets, um, in the desire to kind of deepen in our understanding of sin. Uh, so we're wanting something a little lighthearted, especially coming out of Daniel and Revelation. So we're going to look at what it means to celebrate and worship. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. And today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. And so it's, it's the story about when um, God creates woman from man. Now, the goal today is not going to be a thorough exposition of the text or even um, the specific intention of explaining what God was doing in the creation of woman and how it fits into the whole creation scheme. What I want to look at today um, is a picture into the life of Adam and of woman, obviously, since that's really the subject of the passage. I want to look at Adam and what God does in him to generate celebration and worship. Okay, because as we're going to see here, um, the first, there we go, uh, the first song is recorded in this event. The first human recorded speech from the Bible's perspective, and the first song from the Bible's perspective. So let me read Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, 
This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So again, this little poem, this little narrative about what man said, about what Adam said when God brought woman to him, uh, it's the first recorded human speech in the Bible, and it is a song. It is a song. It is a poem. It is an expression of celebration and worship. And so we're going to see three things, at least from this passage. Um, First of all, celebration begins in a place of need, right? Adam is celebrating because of what God has given him, um, and he's brought him to a place where he no longer has a need. So celebration begins in a place of need. Second, delaying gratification maximizes celebration and worship. Delaying gratification, all right? And number three, celebration is natural and uncontrollable. Natural and uncontrollable. So celebration begins in a place of need. Delaying gratification maximizes celebration. And celebration is natural and uncontrollable. So the first one, celebration begins in a place of need. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. Now this isn't man, this, the narrative isn't sitting back and saying, Adam said it wasn't good. This is God saying that it wasn't good. God saw that Adam was in need. Okay, we know from chapter 1 that being made in God's image, okay, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says, God says, let us make man in our image, and then it says that male and female, he created them. Okay, so then you get to Genesis chapter 2, and they're retelling the story, but there's some things that are a little bit different, and this is one of the differences. God creates Adam first, and he's alone, and he's alone. And from what we know of chapter 1, that aloneness is not a good thing, and it's not God's ultimate answer. And so we have the question, why did not God create woman at the same time? As man, So that's a question that needs to linger in our mind. We know that he is intended to be unified with somebody because part of what it means to be made in God's image, because God says, let us make man in our image. So there is a, a singular God that is reflected as, as dwelling together with, in plurality. Okay, we don't have the full theology or doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, here in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, but we have a sense that there is God and it is an us. It is an us. And when God creates Adam, it's just a him. It's not an us. So that's a huge need. And Adam experiences, Adam experiences this need. The idea of not being good is that Adam's experience was not capable of fulfilled happiness. He was in a state of longing. He was in a state of need. He was in a state of loneliness. And it wasn't going to be possible for him to be happy in that state. All of the other things that God had created to that point, 
God said were good. Man's loneliness was not good. He was in need. He also didn't have any help. He also didn't have any help. God had given him this task to cultivate the garden, and then he gave him a job to name all these animals. And it, clearly, Adam is overwhelmed by the work that it is presented to him. He's also been given the admonition to multiply over the face of the earth, and he has no one to help him with that. So here's Adam. He's lonely, all right? So all of you can imagine, those of you that have, those of you that have ever worked, you're overwhelmed by your job, and then you're alone. You don't have anybody to help you with it. And then you're even more miserable about your work because you don't have a helper. And so that's kind of where Adam was at. Adam is also incomplete in his capacities. All right, He knows that, one, he, he can't image God adequately. We know that from the text. Whether Adam could put words to all of these experiences he was feeling, we don't know. But we know that he is in unable to reflect God as a single man. He is unable to reflect humanity. Because we know that, again, there's man and woman, man and woman, male, female, images God. He can't reflect God. He can't even reflect humanity. He has lack that needs a complement. Now, here's the interesting thing about the word complement. Compliment means that there is going to be a filling in of what is lacking, all right? So that's a good thing. So there's a, there's a lack in Adam, and woman is bringing along something that's going to fill him up. So all his gaps are now going to be filled, and all her gaps are going to be filled as well by him. So you have this great idea of complimenting, but you also have this idea that she is different. And in her difference, she is also opposite. Okay, so this word uh, helper fit has all of these ideas. And so you, you're excited about the complimenting, so we can fill up what is lacking. Um, but when you start talking about somebody that is different and somebody that is opposite, you begin to think, as we all would, uh, that this could present some challenges. Man as man does not know what woman is. And he's going to have somebody who is opposite or somewhat in opposition to and complimenting him all at the same time. And so there's going to be some challenges. The text just begins to hit at because of this idea of what it means to be a helper fit. You can see the creation of some possible challenges here that God is going to introduce into man's life. And so here Adam is in this place of need. He's not ready to celebrate yet. His need is strong, um, and it needs to be met for Adam's sake, for God and his purpose's sake. But we come to the next part of the story. I use this passage in our premarital counseling because it's a really important idea. And it's an important idea, especially in our day and age, for young men and women or for older men and women that are considering getting married. And it's an important message for young men and women when they are starting to feel interest in a person in the opposite sex. Because suffering begins to be experienced in us. 
when we are feeling like it's time to me, it's time for me to be one with somebody. It's time for a compliment to come into my life. It's time to have a companion. It's time to feel this loneliness. And so we begin to suffer because we are alone and we have need and we are attracted to the opposite sex. And that creates its own sets of desires and frustrations and yearnings and suffering. Lust is literally, Paul calls it in 1 Thess 4, the passion of suffering. Or actually, the suffering of passion, excuse me. We feel pain because of our desire, our sexual desire. And so what does God do? It's a strange thing that God does. He tells Adam to go name all of the animals that he's created. And so Adam doesn't really understand why that is such a strange task. We do. Because we know that Adam is never going to find a suitable helper out of the animals. It seems a strange thing to us. But Adam's in pursuit of a helper. And so God says, hey, Adam, why don't you go name all the animals? So here's Adam in this process of naming animals. So this process of naming, okay, he's seeing distinctives, because name is identity, right? He's seeing distinctives. He is seeing characteristics. He's seeing purpose in these animals. And he gives them a name associated to all these distinctives and characteristics and purposes that he sees. And in that capacity that he's growing in, in the mental acumen that he is demonstrating in identifying and naming and characterizing and classifying, he comes to the conclusion that in all of these animals, there is no one that can be a complement fit for me. No one that he could name woman. No one that he was emotionally drawn to. So what was God doing? God was maximizing Adam's potential for celebrating, for worshiping him. He is increasing, all right? He's increasing his suffering. He's increasing his sense of loneliness. He's increasing uh, the, the, the struggle that he has in the desires that he has for a helper. So God is increasing his pain and his suffering. He's also increasing his anticipation and his hope. Peter says that, that in, the, in the place of suffering, we ultimately get to the point where our hope increases. And we thrive on hope. We thrive on knowing that something good is coming. And that's the difference between wishing and hoping. Wishing is you kind of are... You would really like some good to happen in your future? That's wishing. Hoping is knowing that good is going to happen in your future. And so you can wait for it. And the hope itself, as it builds, is something that you thrive on. It gives you energy. It gives you the ability to keep getting up and working towards something. And that hope grows and grows and grows and grows. And that is the point of pain and suffering. And God knows this, and we all know it to be true as well. 
And he's also growing Adam in his ability to mentally and emotionally be fulfilled in woman and to fulfill her. He's not shortcutting the process. How would he shortcut the process at this point? I have no idea except for he thinks that there's an animal that could meet his needs. In our culture, that doesn't sound so odd. I mean, it's odd. But we increasingly see where sexual identity, maleness and femaleness, is uh, completely kind of strange. Uh, there are 50 choices on Facebook for you to select what your gender is, and there are some people that say that 50 is not enough. Our biology tells us one thing. We are male, or we are female, and every cell in our bodies indicates which one we are. And God is creating man to be a male that is capable of fulfilling and being fulfilled by woman. This idea is picked up in uh, Leon Cass's book called The Beginning of Wisdom, which is his commentary, on, it's a philosophical commentary on Genesis. And he says this, For some reason, encountering the animals activates or creates the mental and emotional powers that permit man to recognize and receive his fitting counterpart. Here's what he's saying. If man hadn't gone through that process of naming those animals, he would not have been ready for woman. He developed mentally and he had developed emotionally through that process. Again, the suffering that we experience, loneliness, sexual passion, um, the longing to have a companion to be in one-minded purpose with, those things are all things that we start to feel. If we shortchange the process that God has us in, beginning in those earliest ages, when we start to feel those things, and so we start committing sexual immorality and fornication, and we, prior to getting married, what we're doing, and our culture experiences this to a significant degree, what we are doing is we are ultimately undermining our ability to be effective spouses for when the spouse finally comes. And we spend the first years of our life working through all the baggage and pain that we brought into our lives because we didn't let the suffering do its good work of developing character and wisdom and mental and emotional capabilities to be the man or woman that we need to be when we become a husband or a wife. Suffering produces this growth, and it also then is going to produce the joy it's also going to produce the joy. But let's look at, just real quick, um, how it develops his mind. He grows in his understanding of what woman will not be. I've just looked at, I don't know, 10,000 animals, and woman is not that. Okay? So he's beginning to get some clarity. He's growing in what she must be like. Because he's got some sense of what he needs and what she's going to be able to do and be and knows that these 10,000 or so animals, or how many of it was, isn't going to do what he is longing for. And he's growing in his own sense of identity and purpose. He knows what he's going to be able to do or not do. 
He's growing in that. From an emotional sense, he's growing in his capacities to feel. What is beauty? What is wonder? What is a sense of cooperation? What is a sense of union? He was not feeling those things with the animals. And he knew it. He knew it. None were beautiful enough. None elevated his senses and his sense of wonder enough. None of them communicated, hey, I, I can cooperate you on, in purpose and be your command, companion and be your helper. None of that was able, none of the animals were able to, to do that with him. So he was growing in his ability to feel those things. There's a poem here I was listening to. I, I recall a couple years ago I was listening to, to public radio and there was a story on there about why we need suffering and to endure hardship in order to experience joy. And this poem came up. This is just part of a poem. It's from The Prophet by uh, Khalil Gibran. It says this, Your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the selfsame well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. How else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can, can contain. Some of you say, joy is greater than sorrow, and others say, nay, sorrow is the greater. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. They are inseparable. The more sorrow you feel, the more, more sorrow you experience, the more joy you're going to be able to experience and feel as well. So God is, is doing this work of delaying man's gratification because he is maximizing his future joy. And so finally we come to man's celebration, Adam's celebration. Celebration is natural and uncontrollable. Again, it's the first recorded human speech in the Bible. It's a song. What is Adam celebrating? His vision for happiness has been fulfilled, and he says, at last, I've been waiting for this. Praise God, it's finally here. So that sorrow and delayed gratification has come to the place of achieving its work. He can say, at last. And so he's worshiping, he's celebrating, his suffering has ended, and he has experienced beauty. Beauty is the quality or the aggregate of qualities in a person or thing that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurably exalts the mind or spirit. Adam's spirit, Adam's mind has been exalted to song, right? Because of what he has now seen in woman. He is singing. He has broken forth in song because of God's provision. He's no longer lonely. He has received his helper. And his sense of being incomplete is resolved. The next passage, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall be one flesh. His sexual longings have been fulfilled. 
And he says this, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is a very interesting text here because the word for man here is not Adam. And so prior to this very song, humanity was represented in Adam. Adam, and if you go by the text, Adam contained man and Adam contained woman because from man came woman. And so you have this, I wouldn't say that Adam was androgynous. Adam was a man. But God took from him to create woman. And so now you have Man, the word also means husband, and woman, the word also means wife. So he is now understanding himself, and he's understanding humanity fully. Oh, I am different from woman. I am man. She is different from me. Before, he, he did not understand any of this. So... His own sense of identity and meaning and purpose has come to, has come to a head also. And so all these, all these feelings, all this incompleteness, all this lacking has come to a point where God has fulfilled it. God has fulfilled it. He didn't fulfill it himself. God has fulfilled it, and that gives him reason to celebrate and to break out in song. And so I want to just kind of close here and just ask ourselves, what are challenges to celebration? I think there are four. I think we oftentimes have a different vision than for good than what God's vision for good is. We have a different gospel. The gospel is good news, and gospel means that it is a, a life-changing event that not only affects personal individuals, but affects all of human history, all nations. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to be heralded, and he, excuse me, is going to usher in the good, the perfect kingdom. And the teachings that Jesus Christ gives us are the pathways to our good. We don't go down those pathways unless we believe that God is good. This was the issue with Israel. They didn't believe that God was going to provide for them. They didn't believe that God was going to give them happiness and joy. So they started worshiping other gods and complaining that he wasn't giving them water and complaining that... He they, he wasn't giving them meat and complaining that they didn't have all the great things that they had in Egypt, forgetting that Egypt was killing their children. They didn't believe. God says in Numbers, you haven't believed. Your lack of belief is what led to your disobedience. If we believe that Jesus is the gospel and the way for a good and happy and true life, then we will follow his teachings which means that we are going to have to delay some gratifications, which is the second point. We don't believe that Jesus is good 
And so we will not endure pain and suffering, and we're just going to engage into whatever is going to relieve us of the pain, because the pain is not good and it's not going to lead me anywhere. And so we engage in theft or sexual morality or gluttony or drunkenness, substance abuse, um, I, all greed, you name it, all of our sins come out of this, this longing that we have for good and an unwillingness that we have to, de to delay gratification. And then when we do experience some good, we don't value it because we believe we deserve it. Or it came to us at too cheap of a cost. We didn't go through enough pain to really enjoy it. And we haven't developed the capacities to experience it. Because we didn't go through the pain. We, did, we, we didn't let our, our, our suffering and its, and its appeasement, we, we didn't let our gratification be delayed. So we have to believe that God has something for us that is good. We have to believe that God's teachings lead us in a way of what is good. And one of the things that I really want to emphasize, um, when, when we come together, you know, all, all of us, all of us have reasons to celebrate, or all of us should have reasons to celebrate. And so when we come together, uh, we're not coming together um, so that something exciting here happens. What we're doing is, is we're coming together as God's family, and in, and in coming together, what we're doing, we're, we're bringing all of our experiences we're bringing all of our walks with the Lord. We're bringing all, all of our family dynamics and challenges. Some of us are bringing places and times and experiences where, where God has brought us and he's giving us the joy and he's, and he's helped us to endure our suffering and he's answered prayers and we really have a lot of feeling to celebrate but some of us are coming with a lot of suffering and a lot of pain, uh, and, and we haven't yet experienced God's provision or deliverance from these things. Uh, and some of us are being tempted and following into sin, and we're, we're not delaying gratification. And so come, we're coming with pain, and we're coming with guilt. And we should be in those places, we, we look at those who have been, who are celebrating from the hearts, and we, can, and we can get some encouragement and some promise that, that God will someday deliver and answer my prayers. And for those of you that are, that are celebrating because of what God has done in your life, you're called to be an encouragement and to continue to give hope to people so that they sustain and endure the suffering and not give in to sin. Hebrews says, you have not yet come to the point of shedding blood in your resistance to sin. So we're we are to come together and help one another be encouraged and strong enough to resist sin, to delay gratification so that we can experience and celebrate God joyfully from the heart because of what he's done to answer our needs. So when we come together, don't, don't, don't just come together thinking that I hope the message is good today. Don't just come together and hope that the worship team does a great job. And worship team, you guys did a great job today. Thank you. 
And, and me preaching well and the worship team leading in worship well, those are important things. And God saw, and we're going to look at as we go through the scriptures, that people pursuing those things uh, with quality and excellence is important. So it's important that we do that. But, but it's important that we do that so we tie in to where your hearts are at. And so that your hearts are drawn to worship Jesus Christ. Whether you're in a place where he, you are experiencing his joy and deliverance, or whether you're in a place where you are just holding on to hope, your heart should be drawn to Jesus increasingly when you come here to celebrate with the church. And all of you have a role in that, to be praying for our time together and to be anticipating a God wanting to use you in some way to bring encouragement to others as we celebrate him and our hearts are drawn to him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this cool story. Thank you for all of the, the, the deep intertwined wisdom in it, and I thank you, God, for creating us to enjoy you and to enjoy each other. And God, we look forward to the day where um, we will no longer just be one with a spouse, if indeed we are married, we will, we will share a unity with each other in your presence uh, that is beyond our experience of fellowship now. For we still dwell in these bodies of flesh. So God, as we, as we come together as a people, as, as, as house churches, as families, God, as a combined fellowship, we pray that, as Paul prayed, that you would fill us with a sense of your presence, that you would fill us through faith and that we could know the fullness of you and of each other. In your son's name we pray, amen.